What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News? First, our top stories. House lawmakers planning for the first Biden impeachment inquiry hearing next Thursday. What will it focus on? Five Americans released from Iran are finally back home. We have footage of their emotional family reunions. President Biden calling out China in his address to the UN Assembly, but top leaders, including the heads of China and Russia, are absent today. We'll bring you the latest from the president's speech. Funding the U.S. government, a possible government shutdown is yet again imminent. Democrats indicating they won't support a newly advanced funding bill. And you might be eating bugs in the future as farmers around the world are grappling with environmental policy. We speak with the director of a new documentary about this. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, a date is set in the impeachment inquiry into President Biden. House Republicans are planning the first hearing for next Thursday, probing alleged corruption and abuse of power. The House Oversight Committee, led by Republican James Comer, plans to look into bank records of Hunter Biden, along with those of his uncle, James Biden. Their overseas dealings are the focus of the Biden impeachment inquiry launched by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy last week. The subpoenas aim to find out if money from countries like China and Ukraine made its way to Joe Biden while he was vice president. The committee is investigating a tip from a paid FBI informant which suggests that Joe and Hunter Biden received $10 million in bribes from a Ukrainian gas company in exchange for changing U.S. foreign policy. The White House has denied all allegations, saying Biden was never involved in business with his son. Comer said the hearing next week is unlikely to get into new evidence, but to lay out the existing information and clarify the scope of the inquiry. The president's son is trying to avoid showing up in court for his arraignment, his lawyers seeking a video conference appearance for his gun charges. The judge is giving prosecutors until tomorrow to give him a reason Hunter Biden needs to show up in person. Young Biden faces up to 25 years in prison on federal firearm charges. Those include making false statements in the purchase of a firearm and possession of a firearm by a person who is addicted to a controlled substance. He could also be liable for a $750,000 fine. Freedom at last for the five Americans held prisoner for years in Iran. An Army airfield at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, witnessed the long-awaited emotional family reunions. Amazing. It's amazing. Un-freaking believable. We're so grateful to be together after eight years. It's unbelievable. The nightmare is finally over. And this is the real, real hero of this story, surviving eight years of brutal treatment, but never, never losing hope. And, and, and showing what happens when you're hopeful, when you fight. Why am I saying this? Yeah, it's over. I'm done. Freedom. Freedom. The returning Americans embraced their family and friends in exchange yesterday. The U.S. released five Iranians and unfroze $6 billion in Iranian funds. Two of the five Iranian detainees arrived in Doha on their way home. The other three chose to remain in the U.S. Meanwhile, President Biden is facing heat over the controversial deal, with some lawmakers calling it a ransom payment negotiated with terrorists. 
Turning to another detained American, a Moscow court upheld the pretrial detention for Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich. We're here today at the Moscow City Court, uh, where we understand the court uh, has not yet rendered a decision on the third appeal uh, on the condition of Evan Gershkovich's uh, conditions of detention. The U.S. position remains unwavering. The charges against Evan are baseless. The Russian government locked Evan up for simply doing his job. Journalism is not a crime. Russian state media says Gershkovich will remain in custody until November 30th. Gershkovich is accused of spying, something he, the journal, and the U.S. government vehemently deny. He was arrested in March on espionage charges and faces up to 20 years in prison if convicted. Gershkovich is the first U.S. journalist arrested in Russia for alleged spying since the Cold War. The U.S. has designated Gershkovich and American Paul Whelan as wrongfully detained. Whelan was convicted of espionage in 2020 and is serving 16 years in a Russian penal colony. President Biden this morning addressed global leaders gathered in New York City. Joining us live is NTD's White House correspondent, Iris Tao. Iris, tell us more about the president's speech at the annual United Nations General Assembly. What was in it? Good afternoon to you, Chris. So a major theme of President Biden's speech this morning was that no country can meet the challenges of our time alone and that the U.S. needs to work with other countries to together forge a better future. Watch. The United States seeks a more secure, more prosperous, more equitable world for all people because we know our future is bound to yours. Let me repeat that again. We know our future is bound to yours. And President Biden also condemned Russia and called for more support for Ukraine. He also called for more investments into developing countries around the world. And he also highlighted a railway deal recently struck between India, Europe and the Middle East. But while these moves are largely seen as moves to counter China's influence in those regions, Biden did make the point that such moves are not to contain a specific country. And on China, he said that he's trying to responsibly manage the relationship with Beijing but at the same time, the U.S. needs to push back against China's aggression. Here's what he said. We are for de-risking, not decoupling with China. We will push back on aggression and intimidation and defend the rules of the road, from freedom of navigation to overflight to level economic playing field. And it's worth noting that actually both China and Russia's leaders are absent at this year's gathering. And in fact, President Biden is the only leader of the U.S. Security Council's five permanent members to be present at this year's gathering. The leaders of India, U.K., as well as France are all absent at this year's meeting. So while it could give President Biden a diplomatic window to basically demonstrate the U.S. leadership on the world stage, that their absence does largely cast a shadow on this year's gathering. And also at the same time, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky will be here in Washington, D.C. on Thursday to meet with President Biden at the White House and with congressional leaders on the Capitol Hill. So we'll bring you more on that front later this week. Chris. All right. Thank you, Iris. 
With the UN meeting in New York City today, let's take a look back at some of the memorable moments during the gathering throughout history. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Russia's war in Ukraine is the primary item on the agenda at this year's UN General Assembly. A look at the UN's history shows the long-running tensions. More than 60 years ago, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev spoke about the threat of nuclear weapons. It could be said that these are complicated questions that cannot be solved at one go. But these are questions presented by life, and they are to be settled before it is too late. Nuclear weapons continued to be a central aspect of geopolitics, even after the Cold War. In 2006, then-President George W. Bush addressed Iran's nuclear program. The United Nations has passed a clear resolution requiring that the regime in Tehran meet its international obligations. Iran must abandon its nuclear weapons ambitions. During the UN's 2017 gathering, then-President Donald Trump addressed North Korea's nuclear program. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing, and able, but hopefully this will not be necessary. That's what the United Nations is all about. At last year's assembly, President Biden criticized Russia's war in Ukraine. Let us speak plainly. A permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor, attempted to erase a sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. The United Nations General Assembly overwhelmingly voted to reprimand Russia. The gathering demanded that Moscow cease fighting and withdraw its military forces. The fighting in Ukraine must stop. It's raging across the country from air, land, and sea. It must stop now. The UN General Assembly will meet until September 26th in New York. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, the Biden administration would like to block oil drilling and mining in a region of New Mexico. The ban could last up to 50 years. And a New York law requires employers to post salary rates in job ad postings. Find out why and more in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. A GOP-led spending bill is coming before the House of Representatives. Republicans cleared the final hurdle yesterday. However, even if it passes, it's unlikely the Democrat-controlled the Senate will approve of the bill. Here are the details. Mr. Norman, no. Mr. Roy? Mr. Roy, no. The House Rules Committee on Monday voted 9-3 along party lines to move a resolution out of the committee. The continuing resolution would fund the federal government through the end of October. That's to avoid a government shutdown. Republicans from the House Freedom and Main Street caucuses introduced the bill. It would cut most spending by just over 8%. Department of Defense and Veterans Affairs spending would continue at current levels. 
However, it's unlikely the bill will get through the Democrat-controlled Senate. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer criticized the resolution on Monday. He's against the spending cuts, the omission of disaster relief funding, and in his words, with no Ukraine funding, the proposal is an insult to Ukraine and a gift to Putin. Republican Representative Warren Davidson disagrees. Ukraine funding needs to be its own vote. It's a standalone issue. It should be a standalone vote. Uh, I don't think it needs to be linked to anything else. Meanwhile, Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene says she won't support any bill that includes funding for Ukraine. I believe that the United States uh, position should be for peace in Ukraine, not continuing to fund uh, and provide weapons that are killing people every day. The resolution includes parts of an immigration bill. It would limit homeland security in providing parole to illegal immigrants, which allows them to temporarily enter the U.S. It also includes a provision that would make it easier to export liquefied natural gas to countries with which the U.S. does not have a free trade agreement. While many are against the temporary spending bill, most agree that shutting down the government is not an option. My level is of concern of shutting down and harming so many individuals that have nothing to do with it. And all they're going to do is reap the horrendous, horrendous decision of how it's going to affect their lives. That shouldn't even be on the table. So ultimately, the way these things come to a conclusion is by massive compromise. This fiscal year ends on September the 30th. By then, lawmakers have to come to an agreement in order to avoid a government shutdown. Former Big Apple Mayor Rudy Giuliani is facing legal action from his old attorneys. They're suing him for more than $1.3 million in unpaid legal fees. According to a complaint filed Monday in New York State Court, the law firm Davidoff, Hutcher & Citrone said Giuliani has only paid $214,000 toward his total bill. That's for work the firm's attorneys did on his now-closed foreign lobbying criminal investigation and January 6th-related investigations. It also allegedly covers various lawsuits and probes that came after the 2020 election. The suit says Giuliani last paid the firm $10,000 four days ago. Giuliani issued a statement Monday saying the bill is, quote, in excess to anything approaching legitimate fees. Giuliani recently admitted he was struggling to pay for his mounting legal fees. Trump hosted a $100,000 plate fundraiser for Giuliani at his Bedminster, New Jersey golf club earlier this month. Early voting in Virginia opens Friday. All 140 seats in the state House and Senate are up for election, and all possible outcomes are within reach. Redistricting and retirements make this year's election more competitive and uncertain than previous years. Republicans could keep the House and win the Senate, paving the way for Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin to achieve his agenda. Democrats could keep the Senate and flip the House, returning Virginia to its progressive trajectory under its two previous Democratic governors. The status quo is also possible, a divided government with a narrow majority by each party. Youngkin's victory in 2021 ended four years of state Democratic rule in the House, Senate, and Governor's office. Are you registered to vote? Today is National Voter Registration Day. Local, state, and national organizations are encouraging citizens to register to vote. You can check to see if you're registered and what's required in your state by going to vote.org. The Biden administration wants to block thousands of acres of land in New Mexico from oil drilling and mining. The block would last for decades if implemented. 
The block would affect 4,200 acres in land north of Albuquerque in Sandoval County. It would be in effect for up to 50 years. The Bureau of Land Management says the plan would preserve the scenery, wildlife, and recreational value of the land. The Department of the Interior says Native American tribes had advocated the land be protected. Interior Secretary Deb Holland says she is seeking comment from the public who would like the land to remain protected. The Congressional Budget Office says the area has high potential for sand and gravel extraction. It said the government could lose $2 million in revenue if the ban goes through. Gas prices are at their highest level of the year. The national average for regular gas is sitting at $3.88 today, according to AAA. And U.S. crude has climbed above $92 a barrel. NTD Business's Don Ma asked an industry analyst if we're going to see relief at the pump anytime soon. And now here with me is Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis at GasBuddy. So now, Patrick, uh, normally gas prices, you know, cool off after the summer driving season ends. Uh, of course, we're also seeing U.S. oil prices rise above $90 a barrel. Uh, would you say oil prices having uh, the biggest contributing factor uh, to higher gas prices here in the U.S.? Well, I would say uh, oil is probably a secondary contributor to the rise in gas prices. We've seen a myriad of refinery issues across the West Coast, the Rockies, areas of the Corn Belt in recent weeks, and that's really been hampering gas prices. In fact, uh, Los Angeles average gas price is now on the cusp of hitting $6 a gallon primarily because of four different refineries in Southern California that have encountered issues over the last couple of weeks. It's been a very busy summer for refinery challenges from the heat in the Gulf Coast uh, to the earthquake in California uh, to unexpected maintenance in the Corn Belt. A lot of that has been pushing up the national average. As you mentioned, though, the price of oil now at $93 a barrel, also putting upward pressure on gas prices, resulting in the national average basically holding near where it was a month ago, even as we've now made the switch back to cheaper winter gasoline. Now, what, what do we need to see in order to see some relief uh, for prices at the pump? Uh, you mentioned refineries. Uh, is, is there something that needs to happen there? I, I definitely think the refinery wildcard is the one that probably is having the biggest impact that needs to get sorted out before we do start to see prices decrease. A lot of these refinery issues are happening at the same time that maintenance is starting at some of these facilities ahead of the, uh, the winter. Of course, fall is typically a very busy time for refinery maintenance, a shoulder season between peak gasoline consumption in the summer and peak diesel consumption in the winter, diesel and heating oil being the same product. So uh, right now, there's certainly quite a bit of a squeeze at refineries uh, to produce enough product. I think that's the domino that really needs to uh, to fall in, in order to see gasoline prices start uh, falling again. And that oil prices, while they're continuing to see upward pressure, I think once refineries get issues sorted out, we should see gas prices uh, declining. At the same time, we probably won't see the same for diesel. Diesel prices likely continue advancing in the weeks ahead as we get closer to the start of winter. So in the next few months, are, are you seeing uh, gas prices come down a little bit? What's your outlook? Well, I would be hopeful that we can get past some of these refinery issues and that there would then be more downward pressure on the national average, especially in October and November. That's typically when gasoline demand really starts to weaken, coupled with the fact that in uh, late November, or I should say early November, late October, California makes the transition back to cheaper winter gasoline. So whereas the national average stands in the 380s today, I'd be hopeful that by the end of the year, we could see the national average declining into the 350s or so, but that may be as good as it gets. 
Well, all right. Thank you so much for your insight today, Patrick DeHaan. Thanks for joining. Employers in New York must now publicly post pay rates on new job listings. The new salary law applied to employers with at least four workers. It requires job postings to show good faith salary ranges for any job advertised internally or externally. The New, York, the new state labor law aligns with New York City's salary disclosure law, which took effect in November 2022. Supporters say the law can address discriminatory wage setting and hiring practices. Employers will be prevented from offering job candidates less or more money based on age, gender, race, or other factors not related to their skills. Frank Kerbine is director of human resources at the New York Business Council. He's concerned about the burden the law places on businesses. He told Fortune there could be a lot of unintentional non-compliance. What advantages do free countries have over totalitarian states? We look at how the U.S. can counter China, whose hackers outnumber FBI agents 50 to 1, according to the FBI director Christopher Wray. And unfinished blocks with no water or electricity, many Chinese find their dreams of owning a home shattered in such buildings. We'll bring you more on the harrowing realities of China's property crisis. Thanks for staying with us. Where is President Biden's China policy going? Secretary of State Anthony Blinken meets with China's Vice President Han Zheng on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly. This amid a recent string of encounters between high-level American and Chinese officials. Critics have said these meetings don't amount to much. We hear what the former director of cybersecurity policy at the DOD has to say. Colonel John Mills, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris. An honor to be on your show again. Colonel, what do you make of the recent string of meetings between high-level Biden administration officials and high-level Chinese officials? Well, this is continuing the procession of outreach by senior members of the Biden team uh, who have visited China, but now they are continuing it in different ways, such as meeting at the UN. So the Biden team is seeking to establish a uh, uh, rapprochement and a, 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 a regular dialogue with China. And how do you think the U.S. should approach these meetings with high-level Chinese officials? They should tone down the pandering. They should uh, stop using the term decoupling, such as we don't want to decouple from China. That's actually a Xi term from 2012. That is not a President Trump term. That's a she that's a term. So they really need to kind of uh, get past that. And uh, they need to learn to deal uh, and uh, with the Chinese from a p position of resolve and strength, something that the Biden team really struggles with. Resolve and strength, not pandering. Now, Colonel, FBI Director Christopher Wray said Chinese spy operations are greater in scope than those of the Soviet Union during the Cold War. What does that tell us about where we are right now? Well, I think uh, the FBI director also said that the Chinese threat is greater than all others combined at this point in time. This is about 10 years uh, 
beyond the time where the Chinese really pivoted over and became the primary threat over the Russians. And so there's always a lag time in government pronouncements like this. Literally more than 10 years ago, it really, the mantle passed from the Russians to the Chinese. It's good that he acknowledged this. It's late. And it's also a little bit confusing in light that uh, Merrick Garland dissolved the China task force. And Christopher A. also said Chinese hackers outnumber FBI agents 50 to 1. All of this seems almost insurmountable. How can we counter these tactics they're using? Well, numerically, we'll never achieve a, an equivalency. This is something I, I dealt with for many years in government. It's our operational art that always has to outpace the adversary. That is the key uh, strategy, because we will never meet them uh, in numeric equivalency. That'll never happen, just because of the system. They, their population is three times ours anyway, but they, they have emphasized this. So uh, we, we have to move faster. We have to use the advantages of our liberal democratic republic versus a totalitarian state. That also makes us able to move faster, do the right things. Uh, the totalitarian state is very non-agile and is very subordinate uh, because if you do something wrong, uh, you end up like Defense Minister Lee. All right, Colonel John Mills, thank you again. Chris, thank you. An honor to be on your show. Pouring a lifetime savings into the dream of owning a home only to end up with an unfinished shell with no water, heating, or electricity. That's what's happening to many in China amid the country's deepening property crisis. Here's the story. These Chinese home buyers have seen dreams of owning their own place shattered. They're chanting, we want our house back and holding contracts in their hands for apartments in an unfinished residential complex in the northwestern city of Tongchuan. Shi Chenyu is a construction worker. He bought a pre-sale apartment for $38,000, not knowing that eight years later it would still be unfinished. The block was advertised as a high-end complex with CEO-level service. But now, every night, she climbs 20 flights of stairs to sleep in a room without water, heating or electricity. I don't have any choice now. Living here, there's no water or electricity. When I come back from work at night and climb up the stairs to the 20th floor, I have to use a flashlight. For lighting, as you can see, I use a solar-powered lamp. It's set to automatic, so it turns on at night and off during the day. I virtually don't drink water or wash my face up here. I can even say I don't brush my teeth. From May until now, I've worked on the construction site during the day and come up here to sleep at night. She and a dozen others live in the block to pressure authorities to address so-called rotting or unfinished homes. Such buildings have become more common during China's years-long property slump, where many developers have gone bankrupt or struggled with their debts. Residents say construction has stalled since 2015 but apartments kept being sold until 2020. Many of Xi's neighbours are retirees who had bought apartments for their unmarried sons or labourers who can't afford to rent elsewhere. 
Inside, solar-powered lamps illuminate bare concrete walls and floors covered with layers of dust and gravel. Residents cook in a first-floor communal kitchen with a single gas burner. They also share the communal toilet in a makeshift metal shed. This 73-year-old buyer called the experience heart-wrenching, cruel and unimaginable. While this resident is a former coal miner, he paid $33,000 for an apartment five years ago. We've been busy our entire lives. The developer asked us to gather money, but we don't have a stable source of income. We work as security guards and take odd jobs to make ends meet. According to multiple housing contracts seen by Reuters, the names of the developer and project changed a number of times. Buyers claimed Tongchuan officials said three years ago that a committee was established to resolve the issue, but construction did not resume. The developer could not be contacted for comment. Taiwanese chipmaker TSMC is winning high marks from a U.S. governor. During her visit to Taiwan, Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs called the company's plant in her state a symbol of cooperation. Arizona could not be more proud to be the site of TSMC's U.S.-based fabrication operations, a project that adds to the long history of collaboration between our two economies. Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen met with Hobbs in the island's capital today. TSMC is building a $40 billion chip factory in Arizona. Hobbs says the company is also discussing advanced chip packaging with Arizona. The technology stitches multiple chips into a single device, cutting the added cost of more powerful computing. TSMC hasn't announced related plans in the U.S. The company is the world's largest chip maker with major customers, including Apple and NVIDIA. Coming up, why are governments making life difficult for farmers worldwide? We speak with the director of a new documentary that explores what's happening and the dangerous consequences when we come back. Back to the news. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. House Republicans set first Biden impeachment probe hearing for next Thursday. The Oversight Committee will look into the bank records of Hunter Biden and James Biden investigating the president's involvement in family dealings. The five Americans released from Iran were embraced by family members at a Virginia airport. Two of the five Iranians departed the U.S. The other three chose to remain. The swap was the result of the president's controversial $6 billion deal. President Biden this morning addressed global leaders gathered in New York City. His main theme centered on cooperation to ensure peace. He condemned Russia's war in Ukraine and affirmed the U.S. approach to China as a competitor. The House Rules Committee advanced a temporary spending bill. It would guarantee funding through October. The House of Representatives is set to vote on it Thursday. However, even if it passes the House, it's unlikely the Democrat-controlled Senate will approve of it. Governments are waging war on farmers worldwide, according to a new documentary. Roman Balmakov, host and director of the film No Farmers, No Food, sits down with us to discuss this bold claim. 
Balmakov, thank you for joining us. Chris, thank you for having me. Roman, in this documentary, you're saying there's a global war on farmers. Tell us about this war. Well, it's, it's kind of an interesting under the surface war because, you know, you look out at vast farmland across America or Europe and you think, wow, that's pristine. That's very beautiful. It's very idyllic. But underneath the surface, governments around the world have been um, putting these very onerous regulations on farmers, which have been handcuffing them uh, all in the name of saving the planet. You know, these green policies, they sound very good on paper. And when you hear about them on the media, they sound like they're uh, the panacea to solve all the world's problems. But in practice, they're having the effect of um, they're just handcuffing farmers. And in the instance of European farmers, they're kicking a large swath of them off the land. Uh, in Asia, they're making them essentially not be able to farm their land because they haven't been able to use fertilizer. And here in America, they're using various regulations that are on the books um, to slowly, slowly, slowly take more and more land from uh, American farmers and ranchers. So it's that type of a war. It's like a, a you can say it's sort of a cold war um, on farmers. Now, in the making of this film, you were on the ground talking with actual farmers. Can you share any stories of individual farmers that you heard while making this film? Yeah, um, one of the countries we first went to was the Netherlands because they were um, sort of the poster child for, for this uh, farmer protest movement. And we drove around the country and we just, there's so many farmers who are feeling the effects of these policies that we, could, we literally just stopped at random farms that we came across and almost all of them had stories to tell. Um, this one farm was a sixth generation farm and they would have to curtail 95% of their dairy cows in order to meet the government standards. So if you think about it, if you have a, a large dairy farm operation and you have to get rid of 95% of your cows, for them that would be the equivalent of being left with six cows. And so, I mean, there's no business to be had there. That, that was, when, when they told me that and, they, and then they showed me their, their cows, I was just shocked. And then they showed me why, because there was a small shrub, maybe a mile up, up from their farm up on a hill that the government needs to protect because they signed an agreement with the European Union 30 years ago saying the shrub needs to remain here. And apparently the nitrogen from the cows is deposited on the shrub for, for not allowing it to grow as well as it should, whether that's actually the case or not is dubious according to the scientists we spoke with. But that was just brutal because I mean, they would have to pack up and just move, right? After six generations of farming on this land, that's brutal. And similar stories uh, here in the US as well. Now, Roman, the subtitle of your documentary is Will You Eat the Bugs? I personally will not be eating any bugs, but why did you choose that subtitle? Christopher, you think you're not going to be eating bugs. You think that right now. Someday you'll be looking at this clip thinking, man, was I, was I mistaken when you're going to the store and meat is, the hamburger patty is $47 a, a pound, but the bugs, they're only $7 a, <laughs> per, per pound, and so you're sort of forced to eat the bugs. Um, the bug aspect of it is was interesting, and it's not something I, I actually anticipated going into this project. When we were driving around, uh, again, the Netherlands, we came across uh, some farmers which were alluding to uh, insect farm operations sprouting up. And they were saying that some of the farmers, because they were getting kicked off of their uh, cattle ranches and, and dairy productions, they were moving into insect farming. And so we, we wound up calling a ton of these uh, production sites. Very few of them actually were willing to talk to us. Even fewer were willing to actually show us their operations. One of the people was willing to show us their operations. Uh, but but that's, that's sort of the, uh, the move where it's like, in order to save the planet, 
the idea is that agriculture, traditional agriculture, creates too much, too many grass, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Therefore, we have to curtail the farmers, shrink that sector. But what are people going to eat? Where's the protein going to come from for, for human civilization? Well, -da 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 -da, here come the rise of the insect farms. And it's happening. There's a large insect farm that's being built right now uh, in America. It's going to go online in 2025. Uh, there's a huge one that was built recently in France. Uh, recently, insects were approved by the European Health Commission as, an, as a safe food. Uh, and so the regulations are being opened up. And in the future, it really might be the case if we keep going down this road that meat will be a luxury item and insects will be the main source of protein. What are you hoping audiences take away from watching your documentary? I think my biggest takeaway for people is, well, twofold. One is I like to equip people with the facts and the, the knowledge and a, and a language that they can use when they're speaking with people who are pushing forward these policies, which sound beautiful and, and they sound great on paper. Um, but when you look underneath the hood, it's actually, it's not so great. The second thing is that, um, you know, if, if you go back into the 1950s and you, you, you look at the, uh, the Great Leap Forward over in China, the Great Leap Forward sounded like the best idea possible. We're going to launch China into, uh, you know, the frontier of steel production. We're going to become an industrial powerhouse. We're going to leapfrog over the other countries which have had, a, you know, a, a head start on us. Uh, but now when we look back in hindsight, the Great Leap Forward is, is synonymous with a famine that killed somewhere between 30 to 50 million people. And so right now, what I fear is that we're in the middle of a green leap forward. I really want to avoid a situation where 100 years from now, we'll look back to this period and to the UN's Agenda 2030 and say, man, that, that was a rough famine that killed a billion people. But that we only know that in hindsight. So I'd like to um, just equip people with the facts to avoid a possible disaster. All right, Roman Balmakov, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. To watch or learn more about Roman's fascinating documentary, visit nofarmsnofood.com. This epic original documentary will premiere on Epic TV on September 25th. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to Epic TV to access this and other original documentaries, news and lifestyle shows, movies, and other great content. Coming up, being healthy is less and less common, and a sedentary lifestyle isn't helping. A doctor is calling sitting the new smoking. And a pair of freed baby seals show their appreciation. And a delivery robot needs a helping hand from firefighters. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Welcome back. Is sitting the new smoking? And TD's Daniel Monahan spoke with a doctor who says Americans are being brought to their knees by metabolic dysfunction and a sedentary lifestyle. Dr. Mark Sherwood says studies show people are five times more likely to die from inactivity, while only 1.4 times more likely to die from smoking, adding that 70% of the U.S. population is overweight or obese, according to statistics. Sherwood says health should be the norm, but it's becoming the rarity. According to Sherwood, obesity is the fastest-growing non-communicable disease in the history of the world. The former professional baseball player also criticizes people downplaying unhealthy life choices, especially a new trend where he says some people are trying to cast being fit as right-wing. Being overweight or being overfat creates inflammation, chronic systemic inflammation, and therefore 
every disease process has as part of it chronic systemic inflammation. So we're talking about increasing unhealthiness, increasing sickness, uh, probably increasing the sick span of life and decreasing the lifespan itself, which none of those are good things. Sherwood says eight out of 10 diseases that kill Americans are directly tied to food. Type two diabetes, for example, I, we do not believe it should exist in one single person. Osteoporosis, we think can be avoided. Uh, Alzheimer's dementia, we think that can pretty much be avoided. Heart disease and cancers, et cetera, autoimmune conditions. These are the ones that are driven in part, mostly by our current lifestyle, which is consistent with poor food choices, lack of sleep, you know, um, high stress, and, and certainly lack of exercise. Sherwood is calling on Americans to up their fitness game. I like to say that the more times you move, the more you can live. The only day you don't find time to exercise is the day you're dead. And the more you move, the more you live. And the less you move, the closer you are to rigor mortis. So the bottom line is, I tell people as a practical tip, for every 20 minutes they sit, just stand up for two. And you do that through an eight-hour day of work if you have a sit-down job. You've just done a good amount of squats. According to Sherwood, we can all strive to be our best selves. In all aspects, whether it be physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and even financially. Uh, don't let excess weight become something that's acceptable because it is the propensity to increase disease processes. Work to get that off every day and um, hey, you're loved either way. With 100% of the population predicted to be overweight by 2050, Sherwood says the time to act is right now. Mark Sherwood and his wife have a full-time wellness-based medical practice in Tulsa, Oklahoma called the Functional Medical Institute. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Beachgoers helping seals, police helping lemurs, firefighters helping robots. We have all the selfless good deeds for friends in need. Watch a pair of trapped baby seals thank their rescuers in the cutest way possible. While having a family picnic on a South African beach, private guide James Souter happened upon the pair of seal pups tangled together in a net. Souter and some other beachgoers worked together to hold the pups and carefully cut them free using a knife. Once loose, the seals scampered back to the surf, but first stopped to reward their rescuers with an adorable cuddle wading into the waves and back to freedom. An animal rescue in Missouri was more quirky than cute when a lemur on the loose let a wild goose chase. We got this, Frenchie. <laughs> Springfield police officers were called in to capture the escaped pet lemur, but that proved much easier said than done as the furry fugitive just didn't want to go quietly. But with the help of some bystanders, the police pair were eventually able to catch the lemur in a towel and hand it over to animal control, but not before striking a proud and probably winded pose for a pick. Finally, it was firefighters to the rescue in more ways than one when a confused delivery robot in the UK needed some uniquely human help. These cute little rolling bots make food deliveries on their own using GPS and AI, which in this case stood for AI could use a little help because the delivery bot seemed to keep getting confused by the water hoses of the crew working a building fire and had to be moved more than once. The department later tweeted the robot's company saying they helped it on its way, hopefully with minimal delay. 
Love is in the air, and so are proposals. Signet Jewelers, the largest jewelry company in the U.S., says a spike in engagements is coming. According to the company, which owns Zales, Jared, K Jewelers, Blue Nile, and Diamonds Direct, proposals happen about three or so years into dating. The pandemic had caused a disruption in dating and therefore a lull in engagements. But with the pandemic behind us, Signet expects marriage proposals to start rebounding in 2024. In total, the jeweler expects two and a half million couples to get engaged next year. The U.S. Postal Service's annual Letters to Santa program is now accepting letters. The program, which helps kids in need have a great holiday, is now in its 111th year. Kids can write a letter with specific details of what gift they want. The requests are put on a website. Generous strangers then adopt letters and send the gifts anonymously. The letters can be addressed to Santa Claus at 123 Elf Road in the North Pole, zip code 88888. They need to be postmarked by December 11th. The website USPSOperationSanta.com opens for letter adopters on November 20th. More than 25,000 wishes were mailed in last year. More than 21,000 of them were adopted. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.